and thank you for tuning in to this episode of This Wellness Life. Today's topic and title is Financial Wellness 101, Introduction to Wealth, Health, and Happiness. I'm your host, Kendra Zenizak. I'm an associate lecturer of kinesiology at Ball State University. And today our guest expert is one of the best out there. His name is Eric Shade, CPA and finance manager at McGraw-Hill. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kendra. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Today, what we're going to talk about is one of the topics and one of the dimensions of wellness that I feel that regardless of what model you actually subscribe to, there's a vast array of models that include financial wellness as one of the key components. And so I sometimes feel, though, that this is one of the more commonly overlooked dimensions of wellness. Although, obviously, when we talk about the dimensions of wellness, we talk about the importance of all of them working in conjunction with one another. So I think today we're doing the 101 approach. We're doing that introduction into this concept of financial wellness, because what we noted is that in 2020, a study of collegiate financial wellness indicated that approximately 74% of their 25,000 respondents across four-year institutions, two-year institutions, public, private, a vast array of college students indicated stress about their personal finances to the point that 33% of them had even talked about the possibility of dropping out of their academic pursuits. And so obviously that raises a red flag. That's a concern of something that we felt really needed to be at least touched upon and addressed. And from today's perspective, understanding what financial wellness is, why it's important, why it has that much impact and can make that much of a difference, and really talking about some do's and don'ts to basic financial wellness. And so again, that's what we're looking at is this introduction, kind of that first second year approach to some of the major areas that we've had a tendency to really focus on today was looking more along the lines of understanding the topic of financial wellness, understanding some of the basic concepts about a budget and student loans, and then really looking at one of the current trends that's out on the market today, which is digital finance. So we've got a lot to talk about today, Eric. So I'm going to start off with just asking you very simply, what is financial wellness? I would say financial wellness is really understanding your day-to-day and the decisions that you make and how that impacts your bank account, you know, credit card, trying to understand how this impacts your life on a day-to-day basis. So I think as simple as that. And for something that seems to maybe have a simple definition, what we realize is that it has a very great impact. And particularly from an introductory college level, the concern is, is that when doing some research, found that a 2020 survey from the Council of Economic Education, only about 21 of the 50 states currently have Financial literacy is one of the topics from that K through 12 perspective. Less than half of the states have some type of financial literacy for students not only graduating high school, but thinking about going into college. Yeah, that's incredibly alarming. I know myself growing up, especially in high school, trying to understand the ins and outs of simply the basics. It's a big gap that's out there right now that hopefully we can shed some light on and and create some positive buzz around. And I think, too, in understanding that financial literacy component, we also start to notice that even at a collegiate and university level, there are some colleges and universities that require financial literacy as part of their core curriculum, but it's not widespread. Putting that into perspective and thinking about whether it's a lack of financial literacy or financial wellness information or thinking about the positive aspect of having that what would you say are some of the short and long-term implications of perhaps not having it versus having that type of background of education or information? Short-term implication, if you're a first or second year college student, it's do I have money to spend for this upcoming weekend? And how stressed out are you going to be about going out with your friends for a weekend? And 
what your bank account looks or if you're checking it every day. And that can be incredibly stressful. I've seen it happen quite a bit with those first and second year college students. So I think short term, just those immediate stressors are very prevalent. And then long term, you're setting yourself up for success. So thinking three, four steps down the road rather than just that immediate timeline, I think is really important. And I think, as you mentioned, in just even that short term impact, when we consider the dimensions of wellness, talking about stress financially, that carries over and has a ripple effect into if I don't have the proper budget in place and I can't engage in the social activities that I want to or participate in certain maybe economic opportunities that the university has to offer because I'm limited financially, you start to see that social dimension get affected. Or as you mentioned, just stress in general. So whether it's the psychological dimension, carrying over into the physical dimension of how to properly care for themselves, there's a vast array of ripples that goes from that short term. And then as you mentioned too, carries into those long-term implications, just not even post graduation, but we're even thinking long-term health and wellness as well. What we want to focus on today for those particular institutions and those universities and those students who don't have the background, who haven't had the financial literacy up to this point, or perhaps don't have the opportunity to engage in those types of opportunities in their current institution, one of the key things that you mentioned, and I know it's on the top of every college student's dream list, is a budget. So let's talk about some of those recommendations or some of those considerations that you might say from your financial planning background, as far as what some of those budgetary recommendations and top tips could be. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that when people hear the word budget, they can be immediately turned off to any person. I don't care if you have a deep financial background or just starting to learn about these things. I think it's really important to start to keep it as simple as possible. So First off, I would advise to try to think about what time frame you want to look at. So if it's just weekly to start, take a look at what a Monday to Sunday looks like, where those dollars are going. At the end of the week, see where you had used your debit card and what amounts had come out of your checking account and take a look at your credit card statement and sum up those ins and outs of your personal finances. If you have any car payments, any sort of inflow or outflow is really important to sum up and summarize. And you can keep a really simple Excel spreadsheet where you can track those ads and subtracts. And then let's say you come up with a number at the end of the week, you can extrapolate that out and multiply that by four. If a lot of those expenses are held constant throughout the month and come up with where you would be at from a monthly standpoint. And the key, I think, in all this is to be extremely honest with yourself keep it as simple as possible in, in that weekly time frame, And from there, you'll be able to, to see a quick idea of how those are adding up and where you have opportunities to save. So in other words, keeping track of your $5 Starbucks coffees here and there, not just <laughs> yeah. saying, oh, that's on my app. It's fine that I just, oh, that money's there and it just disappears. But that there's that recharge process of if you have those types of things set up, your Apple Pay or your money set aside in certain areas, that those costs also have to get added in. So laundry costs or those types of things to make sure that those are also included, even if they're not necessarily coming off of that debit card or off of that credit card at that point in time. Yep, exactly. 100%. And so from that budget perspective and that decision point to be honest with yourself, what would you say are some of the biggest downfalls that students might have when trying to put together a budget or some of the biggest obstacles that they may encounter? I think it's just a scary process. As a freshman or sophomore in college, it's probably at the bottom of your laundry list of things to tackle. But I think it's 
incredibly important. And when you try to keep it as simple as possible, it doesn't have to be this big blown out project to start. No, it can evolve over time as you continue to learn more and more around your personal finances. But just like anything else, the hardest thing is to start. So I think, you know, keeping it simple, trying to just track at a high level to start and continue to make it more and more detailed as you move on. And I think along those lines too, from that budget perspective is to identify the wants, the needs, and the must-haves. And that was something that just from a very, you know, just a little bit of anecdotal from what we, when I created my own college budget, that's what I would color code and say, you know, red is a must. I have to pay this, you know, yellow is, Hey, it would be nice if I could. And green is a, this is just an absolute desire that, you know, from that budgetary perspective of in versus out, how do we provide that balance? Yep. 100%. Love that idea. Yep. Highly, highly recommend that. And so another thing too, that from the administrative perspective of things from a collegiate background that we really encourage too, is to understand what you are paying for. So when you are paying your student fees at your university, you're paying to access the library, you're paying to access maybe the student health center. Um, I know at our university, any any full-time student gets 12 free counseling sessions in academic year. So it's not always necessarily well advertised, what your student fees may be directly providing, but maybe it's tutoring sessions, maybe it's writing assistance, maybe it's the career center for resume building. And these are all things that aren't necessarily then fees that the student themselves has to pay out in addition. So you don't have to necessarily pay for a resume service once you get closer to that graduation point. So I think there's a little bit of an additional responsibility that comes with this. So the responsibility on the student's part to really dig in and investigate. But also I want to say that I think it's a responsibility on the university and the college to make sure that students are aware of what they have access to, because I know sometimes there's that disconnect. So making sure that for whether it's a student that's listening to this podcast or whether it's a faculty or an administrator, to make sure that in this world of financial challenges, those opportunities are really brought to light so that students can have the opportunity to continue their academic pursuits with as minimal impact financially as possible. Exactly. I was just going to say it's so easy as a college student to get that tunnel vision and be siloed in your your day-to-day where you're not thinking of those ancillary, financial related, any sort of help or guidance that the college can provide that you're already in theory paying for. You might as well take advantage of it. I would, again, highly recommend that, that check and do your own due diligence to see what's offered. And I think one of those offices and perhaps one of those resources that most universities have, and it may have different titles across different universities, but typically we're looking at like your office of financial aid and scholarship. Uh, And oftentimes that incorporates the next main area that we wanted to talk about, which are student loans. So understanding some of the impacts of student loans, but also understanding how to make student loans work for you versus against you. So that's the kind of that next area that I'm going to turn right over to you to let you run with that particular topic. The student loans, again, are something that's quite scary to anybody who's, who's involved with them or has experience with them. The one recommendation that, that I always like to make is start early and start often in terms of chipping in and whatever you can start to pay off on those student loans will pay dividends and get those cleared out in the long term. So people think I don't have this much money to spend throughout my college time when in reality, you can start to actually chip away. So 
main point there is just try to get started as early as you can. And then also we talk about cautions around repayment and refinancing options. People are are always trying to badger you around repayment or refinancing, or here's a better rate. Consult with somebody who has some experience in this to get an understanding, trying to understand interest rates and how that impacts your payment and what that looks like over a long time period. I would consult with somebody who has experience and understand what the best option for you looks like. According to educationdata.org, student loan is the second largest form of consumer debt. So do you have any words of wisdom for the student who may say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take all the financial aid that is offered to me at this beginning point so that I can set myself up comfortably as I start to get into that college experience versus utilizing more of what's necessary rather than all of what's offered. Before you engage in that process, I think it's important to consult with somebody because it's very easy to get looped into this process. And, you know, like you said, all those offers happen. And and before you know it, you have a wild amount of loans on your hands. So thinking about what's reasonable and what's realistic, who you can talk to, to bounce some ideas off of on what makes sense. Does it make sense to get a job throughout college and, and how will that help? Those are some things that are top of mind. This topic of student loans and understanding, being aware before going into the process, which is very hard because it is kind of that high school to college transition of making sure that those finances are in place to be able to attend that first year. And it's oftentimes a multi-person decision because we have the parents and we have the college student trying to make that best decision at that point in time. But understanding that long-term impact, the average four-year public institution student is leaving with approximately $30,000 of student loan debt. As you're in the process throughout those four years, you don't have to wait until the end to start paying it back. And so the sooner that that process begins, from what I'm understanding from you too, is that that's less money than that collects interest afterward. That's more money towards the principal and less towards the interest. So minimizing that long-term impact when trying to maximize the short-term benefit. Yep, 100%. Are there any other recommendations or considerations from student loans that you have or just in relation to general information for students? do your due diligence before. Like you said, it's so easy to transition high school to college and all these different options and and different loan options are all thrown at you at once. Really understand what sort of interest rates are out there, what sort of impact that has, who you can meet with. Just avoid jumping too quickly into this process because I've seen it time and time again. So trying to, again, be responsible and do that due diligence on the front end will help a lot in your understanding as you go through the process. And it may seem overwhelming at that introductory point, but as you're saying, just make sure that you find an individual. And usually most colleges and universities will have that financial aid representative through the registration process, through the onboarding process to really help identify what the best options are. You're not on an island. You're not by yourself. You don't have to be by yourself in this, but it's finding and reaching out, being able to reach out to those individuals that have the background, that have the knowledge and can provide that beacon of light, so to say, to make sure that path is proper to start with versus trying again. As we get deeper and deeper, it just becomes more and more overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And so I think this kind of transitions us into another area as well. So I was so excited that we would actually have a financial expert on here to at least touch on some of the trends that we see now really coming to the forefront 
in this independent financial digital trends. I think one of the first things that I want to ask you about is banking. And so there are more banks now or more banking apps that perhaps have a little bit more in that forefront as far as the digital trend is concerned of you don't have to go to a bank. You can use your phone or you can use this app. Do you have any recommendations, some things to look for, some do's, some don'ts when selecting banks, whether it be in person or digital, just in general? One recommendation that I would make would be every single college campus out there has a standalone physical location bank or multiple. That was a route that I took in college where you know you have the hybrid of the physical location bank and they have the app and the online platform. I Highly recommend that, at least as a starting point for a college student. That way, you know, you're able to stop in and ask any sorts of general questions and get that immediate feedback. Whereas if you just have an app on your phone, you may just let it sit there and manage through the app, but you're not really getting a thorough understanding of the ins and outs of your finances. So I like having another in-person resource there for you at any given time where you can stop in quickly and, and ask a question and get feedback. So another question that we might see come across trying to look for even those physical locations is a bank versus a credit union. I would say a bank, a Wells Fargo, Fifth Third is your normal FDIC insured. They have resources there for you. It's pretty straightforward in that way. Credit unions, they provide loans and savings to their members, just like traditional banks, but typically on what they would consider better terms. Unlike banks, they take their profits and use it to help members with low interest rates and other financial services. So I would say that's probably the the main difference there. And maybe another consideration is local versus national, perhaps, because more credit unions have a tendency to be a little bit more of a localized source, a localized branch versus let's say like you were talking about with Wells Fargo or Chase, your larger quote unquote banks. If you are attending college in one state and are from another state, they want to look for something that has a little bit more of that national span. But if you're also just attending in one particular area, planning potentially on staying in that area for a while, then maybe the credit union becomes a little bit more of a consideration at that point in time, knowing that you will be branch central or branch localized throughout your not only college education, but perhaps moving forward as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's all individualistic and and what your personal preference would be that the, the local versus national is a great point because I don't think a lot of college students think that who are attending a college from out of state or something along those lines. So yeah, that's a fantastic point. I think that also then kind of can take us to this next piece. We're oftentimes talking about budgeting and having enough, but trying to have our money make money for us. One of those key areas that we've started to see kind of pop up and get a little bit more, a lot more interest over the past year or two, we'll be looking more along the lines with cryptocurrency and or even the online trading platforms. So things like Robinhood and those types of investment opportunities, any type of information that you have, things to be aware of, cautions to take, benefits from some of those and how they may be beneficial or how they may just, again, have any inherent concerns associated with them. With the rise in popularity, I would say really, it seems like since covid we have seen a rapid increase in trading volume and cryptocurrency interest. GameStop was a perfect example a few months ago when that had a, a rapid rise and people were, were buying that stock on its way up and it came down quite a bit depending on when you got in was 
where, where you netted out in terms of profits or losses, whether it's trading stocks or cryptocurrency, first do your due diligence and meet with somebody who has some background knowledge on this topic, work with a financial advisor. You see these crazy success stories of people making a lot of money quickly, but then you also see the other side of it, people losing you know, all their savings on a, on a trade that they really had no understanding on, no background knowledge on. And it can be a pretty scary place. So do your due diligence. Investing in, in stocks is incredibly powerful long-term. If you're getting started, conservative, safe investments that are modeled along the S&P 500 and meet with a financial advisor and try to get an understanding of the ins and outs first before putting your hard-earned dollars in the stock market or in any other type of investment. And I think along those lines, when we've seen savings interest rates decrease over the past several years, then that thought process is, again, how do I make my money work best for me? And in those types of situations, when you're thinking either cryptocurrency or you're thinking within the stock market, Eric, please correct me if I'm wrong. But once you hear about it in the news and try and get on board, oftentimes that's past the time um, is kind of what it seems like. So it's like, if, oh, I just heard about this stock, I want to get in on this stock. Well, you missed kind of that golden opportunity of when it was really going to make that big jump or make that big gain, particularly if you're talking about those quote unquote flash in the pans, like GameStop happened to be. That was a great example um, and such a roller coaster ride for anyone who probably was in that GameStop process. Yeah, um, famous, famous quote, buy the rumor, sell the news. So I think that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what you're uh, getting at. Yeah. I love that quote. I've never heard it. And it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And so I think that that's, it's great information is to make sure that from that financial advising piece, if you don't feel comfortable or know the market well, or know a lot about these particular topics, as you mentioned, financial advisors are there for you. And so I want to talk about that just for a small moment of what would be some type of things whether it's certification, whether it's a degree, whether it's what are some things that really help individuals understand that, yes, this person is truly a financial advisor versus someone who maybe just does this as a side trade or as a hobby. So some things to look for as far as that's concerned. Yeah. To start with a bigger, reputable business Fidelity, for example, is a good one. They have thousands and thousands of people who do this. And then obviously the licenses. So CFAs and all the other financial licenses, you know, you'll see that at the back end of their names. But but I, I would again start with maybe the, the more reputable, bigger businesses as a starting point. It, it all boils down to who you think you can trust. And I think too, and when you talked about a little bit earlier, having physical financial location, so having a bank, having a credit union. Oftentimes, they may have an individual at that particular location, perhaps, that may be able to provide some additional educational background and experience background from those financial perspectives to be able to provide. And I know you've alluded to it several times. So I just want to make sure that that's perfectly clear that oftentimes those institutions, and that's another reason why to visit those physical locations or to make sure you have access to individuals within that banking system that maybe perhaps have that background or have that knowledge. Yep. Yep, exactly. I would highly recommend that, you know, if you just have it on your phone, you're way more or less likely to follow up on going with a resource or trying to ask questions where if you're walking past this location on on your way to school every day, then I think the chances are more likely. 
And in some situations, the individuals at those institutions are there, if you have an account at that institution, are there to help you at either a reduced fee or free of charge as part of that account process. So again, just looking at that, but also making sure that from that investment standpoint, that that's another question to ask is what kind of fees would be associated if, you know, utilizing those types of services through that. Yeah, exactly. And the same thing is true too with apps. So, you know, are there fees per trade? Is it per transaction? Do you get so many transactions in a month at a certain cost? Um, So all of that has to be figured into that long-term process of how beneficial financially is this to me? Yep, 100%. Is there any other information that we've gone through today that you think that just from your perspective, from being the college student, transitioning to the financial world, having those two worlds collide that either A, you wish you knew, B, you would go back and tell your younger self, (laughs) or C, just a little bit of any type of information you think is a great way to wrap up today's introductory introductory discussion. Phenomenal question. I think, you know, the main takeaway that hopefully resonates with people this isn't as daunting as it may seem. I know if you're a college student trying to understand interest rates and your savings accounts and other accounts can turn you away. And my my comment there would be, you know, you don't have to learn it all or take it all in in one day. Like it can be a, a gradual understanding. In, in your first year, try to understand budgeting and, and open up a, a savings account and understand the ins and outs of your loans all that can happen over time, right? You don't have to do it all over the same week. Try to piecemeal it, make it as simple as possible, at least to start with. And as you become more interested in this area or have a better understanding, you know, you can build out that knowledge base. I think that is superb advice is that, as you stated, it all seems like everything information-wise comes rushing in. But just as we talk about with any type of goal-setting process, financial wellness is still a goal-setting process, one piece at a time just understanding that first part, moving on and building that foundation to how it can expand out. It goes into that understanding too, that a little bit can go a long way. No one's expecting millionaires by the time we're done with our freshman year of college. Um, But if we can save $5 here and there or $10 here and there, you know, utilizing a service on campus that saves you money, whether it's making your own coffee versus going to Starbucks, sorry, Starbucks. Um, But, (laughs) you know, those types of processes, those little pieces really do add up to that long-term implication of what you've been talking about all along. And that's setting ourselves up for that concept of wealth, health, and happiness short and long-term. Yep, exactly. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate all the wonderful information and advice that you have for our listeners. I want to thank the listeners today for tuning in to this episode of This Wellness Life. Be safe, be well, be kind to yourself and to others. Thanks so much. 